Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One and the Xbox Series X and etc. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 9th, 2020, including we now know what the Xbox Series X looks like from the back, Respawn Entertainment's CEO is taking over Dice LA, Grand Theft Auto V is now on Xbox Game Pass, and more. And this is your weekly reminder to go and rewatch the Discovering Hope trailer for Halo Infinite that was first shown at E3 last year. It is just such an awesome trailer. I was watching it today and just getting hyped for Halo Infinite as I tend to do. The game looks, or the game just seems so promising, and I'm so excited for it. And it's just such an awesome trailer that really captures the tone of everything I love about Halo and everything I love about. Bungie's Halo and 343's Halo and just how excited I am for the future of the franchise. So if you haven't reinvigorated your love for the franchise recently, be sure to go back and watch that trailer. It's such a phenomenal, phenomenal trailer. Uh, a more important bit of housekeeping, though, for those of you in, in Australia, I know a lot. obviously Xbox is a very popular brand in Australia. So I assume, you know, if, if I have some people listening to this show Maybe at least one or two of you are bound to be an Australian listener. So just in case there are any Australian listeners out there, you know, I obviously this podcast has some metrics. I just I guess I could check them, but I I won't. But yeah, I just wanted to let you know that you're in my thoughts. And I know this is just a kind of a horrible time for everyone in Australia. And I, I, I just yeah, I just wanted to do a little shout out and just let you know you're in my thoughts during this devastating time with all these awful fires taking place and just, yeah, I mean, not that I can really say anything of any, of any true meaning, but I just wanted, I just felt like Xbox has such a profound Australian audience that it felt wrong to not at least make mention of the horrible fires taking place in that country right now. And to just kind of send out my thoughts and and condolences. Yeah. I just, I don't really know a good way to put that otherwise, but just wanted to throw that out there for sure. Aside from that, I, I thought, you know, and I'm always sitting here bitching about how I wish people would comment and interact with the show more. So I've decided what I'm going to start doing is just pulling some comments or shout outs or whatever from YouTube comments, iTunes reviews, whatever, and just start incorporating them into the show regardless of how they really fit. So I thought I'd, I'd start out this week's episode with some comments from last week's episode. And so these are from, these come directly from the YouTube comments on, on last week's episode, episode 30. The first one is from Dead Captain James, who, by the way, comments on the show quite regularly. And I, and I appreciate your, your feedback and your input and your perspective and your constant kind of just follow up on every episode. It's, it's really appreciated. So I thought I'd just kind of incorporate your last comment into the show. Last week I talked about playing Life is Strange 2 and kind of my gripes with that game and how I really didn't like it despite being a massive fan of the first game. And I was talking about kind of the out of place forced inclusivity and kind of social commentary that the game has and to which Dead Captain James re- replied that he agreed 100% with everything I was saying about Life is Strange 2 and how he shares the frustration of the kind of foreign company coming in and making a statement about what it's like to live in America when these people obviously 
don't have the perspective of living in this country. These people, of course, being developer Don't Nod, a French developer behind the Life is Strange series, to which I responded to Dead Captain James by saying, it just feels like the game ends up not having anything important to say because every issue it tackles is done so in such a surface level way and completely lacks nuance or justification. And I mentioned how it wouldn't have bothered me so much had they just not done such a poor job at it. So yeah, I mean, I did finish Life is Strange 2 this week. That is one of the things I've been playing and I feel pretty similarly about it as I did last week, even having seen it through to the credit. It was a somewhat satisfying ending. I went online and watched all the other endings that I didn't get just to kind of see which ones I liked and didn't like. I was pretty happy with the the ending I got, but again, it's just I really didn't care for most of the characters in this game, and the game just continuously finds ways to just shoehorn all this kind of like... I, I, I try to refrain from using certain terms, certain... But like just kind of, you know, current social, current social issues and just trying to shoehorn them in where they really don't fit and don't belong. And they just kind of feel very forced and inelegant. And uh, it just it does that all the way through the end of the game. And I just wasn't really a fan of it. And it just the game really severely suffers as a result of this just kind of tasteless excuse to make a, a make a social comment out of out of this game that otherwise could have been pretty great. Nonetheless, that's all I really had to say about Life is Strange 2. I still had fun playing it, and I still kind of like the main characters anyway, so not a horrible waste of time. Maybe if you like Life is Strange, it's worth playing, but whatever. It's a, it's okay for the second game to be bad. It doesn't detract from how much I enjoyed the first one, so that's that. Another comment from last week's show that I wanted to bring up was actually from my brother. Obviously, last week I was kind of reminiscing and in, in doing a, a retrospect on the Xbox One generation as we move into 2020, the year of the Xbox Series X. And my brother commented after the episode saying, you know, I went back and looked at the original Xbox One interface and it's crazy to see how much it's all changed. This really was a great console generation. I put more time into my Xbox One than any other console I had before it. It's sad to see this generation coming to a close. And I read this and really, I really related to it and it kind of got me thinking and reminiscing a bit. So I I responded to my brother saying, you know, I agree. I have a really personal connection with this generation of Xbox that I think seems to be similar with the way Nintendo fans were about the Wii U and PlayStation fans were about the PS3. Uh, Despite it being an unpopular console, it quietly delivered a fan-driven generation of great games and features. If anything, the ups and downs of the Xbox One only strengthened my love of the brand. And I just felt like I, I should really include that because... Both of those comments kind of encapsulate some things I wanted to say last week a little better than how I was kind of saying it live on the air into the mic. And just kind of just wrapping up, putting a little bow on my retrospect of the Xbox One saying, you know, the Xbox One, to to elaborate on that point, is kind of like the PS3 or the Wii U for Microsoft where it's like that console where it got a lot of mainstream hate and its sales kind of paled in comparison to some previous generations of Xbox, but for those of us who are big fans of the brand and stuck with it through this kind of cycle of people not being so high on Xbox, I think it was actually one of the better generations for Xbox because rather than it being like the 360 where Microsoft had the position and the ability to kind of be loud and cocky and just kind of you know, high and mighty. This was a this was a generation of Xbox being really humble and having to really drive home the fan service in order to maintain and re-earn some trust uh, that they had broken from the mishaps of the beginning of the generation. So for all of us who've, who've been here since the beginning of the Xbox One generation, I think it's been a console era of just really awesome, fan-driven, 
content games features and it's just really felt like the most personal and by the fans for the fans kind of era of xbox yet and that's just something that's made xbox one really special to me so just want to mention those comments and then one final comment we had uh this is actually this comment i actually got today this morning um but it's actually from a couple weeks ago's episode uh this this comment is from dominic shane who commented saying uh how's it going just subbed to your channel. Have you thought about using smzeus.com to promote your channel? And I wanted to include that because, of course, to Dominic, I did respond saying, yes, yes, Shane, uh, quite a lot, actually. I've, I've considered using smzeus.com to promote my channel, whatever the fuck that is. Um, so... Those are my comments from this week. Um, be sure if, you, if you'd if you like to hear something you've said on the air or to further the conversation of the podcast, even after I, I hit the stop recording button, just uh, go ahead and leave a comment, whether that be a review on iTunes, a comment on YouTube, whatever, and we can keep talking about Xbox uh, even, even when the week's episode is over. And then from there, we're just going to go into what I've been playing this week before we get into the news. So I've already gone over Life is Strange 2, of course, so we'll stop beating that dead horse. But actually, the other thing I played this week, the other big one, I know I said I was going to jump into Hell, uh, Hellblade, and I got all the way to the startup menu and then didn't play Hellblade. In fact, what I did was I began playing Days Gone on my PS4, which I know is not an Xbox game, so we're not going to really talk about that, which I'm, I'm kind of enjoying. It's kind of a slow start, but I, th- I think I'm going to like that game if I just put in a few more hours. But that's that's for, I guess, a different podcast or a different conversation. Uh, but the game I actually really ended up playing this week uh, was super, you're going to laugh, but Super Lucky's Tale, um, which for those of you who don't remember is a 2017, it was published by Xbox Game Studios, but it's not developed by uh, an Xbox-owned team. It's But it was this uh, 3D platformer game, kind of in the vein of like Banjo-Kazooie or uh, Mario 64. And just, I, I guess I never really said this on the air before, but actually 3D character platformers that's actually my favorite genre of video games i'm a very big first person shooter fan obviously i talk about my love for halo all the time but truly my favorite my favorite genre or the video game genre that i just have the most fun with from a gameplay perspective purely is the uh, 3d platformer genre my favorite game of all time just from a pure gameplay standpoint is absolutely without a doubt super mario galaxy i think it's a phenomenal game um and i just i Sometimes I forget how much I love this genre because it's kind of a dormant genre. You get excellent 3D Mario games from time to time, and that's almost about it. But I, I, you know, I was feeling something like this. I was thinking about maybe trying a hat in time. But I was like, you know what? There's a game that's kind of closely related to the Xbox in this genre, and I've never given it a chance. So, despite you know the less than you know the less than <laughs> high praise that Super Lucky's Tale received critically when it came out two years ago, I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna play and decide for myself. Obviously, it's on Game Pass. What I had to lose, and I actually ended up really enjoying it a lot. I beat the entire game in like two sittings. It spent about maybe seven or eight hours with it. Um, it's not that long a game, and it's really not that challenging at all. A lot of people like to complain about the performance of the game or the camera. Um, I feel like the performance is just fine, and I'm playing on like a day one Xbox. I think maybe they've probably patched a lot of the issues out of the game. So, I mean, if you want to play it now, I don't think it really has any performance issues. It ran pretty fine. I think the game has like a few too many loading screens, but they're not terribly long loading screens, but they can they can get irritating. Um, other than that, I didn't really have a lot of camera issues with it. I know that was a common complaint about the game. I don't know if maybe I'm just really good at platformers and that's not to pat myself on the back that's like literally the only genre I'm good at is like 
3D platformers, so or just platformers in general. So maybe I was just didn't struggle with it because I'm good at these kinds of games. But I, I mean, I I really had no problem with the, with the camera whatsoever. So if you're a person who enjoys platformers, or maybe you haven't ever given platformers a fair shake, try Super Lucky's Tale. You got Game Pass; it's there. So just you owe it to yourself to just have a good time. I think it's a it's a fun like kind of budget title platformer. Um, it's definitely not going to rock your world or anything, but it's a it's a fun seven hours. So I, that's why I play this week. And with that said, we'll move into this week's news. So let's let's just jump into that. So two little news stories, or I guess they're not really little news stories. They're actually quite big news stories. Uh, but I'm just going to kind of mention that these happen without really going in depth with them because I don't feel that I'm really equipped to to speak about these with any authority. So we're just going to kind of mention them, but not really go too much into them. Digital Foundry, the popular news outlet that deals with a lot of like video game console hardware specs and power kind of things came out this week and kind of reported and confirmed some rumors and leaked specs pertaining to both the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5, uh, which essentially rounded out to like saying all well, pretty much confirming that the xbox series x is is going to have like 12 teraflops of power which again just to kind of put into vague context just means that this thing's going to be like more than twice as powerful as the xbox one x and also it's supposed to be or at least on paper from what we kind of know but don't fully for certain know it looks like the xbox series x is set to be a little more powerful than the ps5 I don't know how much more powerful, but it's going to be the more powerful of the two next generation consoles, which is extraordinarily impressive. And one of the big advantages it's going to have to this is this proprietary solid state drive that Microsoft's developing for it, which is going to make load times essentially non-existent, much like how the PlayStation 5 is is aiming for a similar achievement. Um, but so just, I mean, again, I'm not going to go into too much detail because one, I don't really understand a lot of this technological stuff because I'm just kind of a novice when it comes to interpreting these kinds of stories. But I, I can't not mention this because obviously this was a huge story. This is a huge deal. But yeah, the Xbox uh, Series X is shaping up to be an extraordinarily powerful console. Uh, the other big one, and this one just kind of happened the other day, is Phil Spencer uh, showed off a picture of the Xbox Series X processor. This one less so like a, a big nerdy story and more of just like if you wanted to see a picture of what the actual processor looks like, Phil Spencer tweeted it out this week and then another uh, Twitter user tweeted out a photo of like multiple processors. So you can see a picture of what these things look like. It's pretty reminiscent of the um, Xbox One X processor, but with a lot more shit going on on top of it. So if you hadn't already seen that, you can go find that all over you know your IGNs and whatnot, or go see the original source picture on Twitter itself. But I just had to mention all that because those stories did come out, and if and if you are more technologically savvy than I am, you can go and read in more in-depth in about the Digital Foundry story in particular, which Eurogamer picked up and reported on, but you can just go ahead and watch Digital Foundry's video kind of expounding on all those details. Um, so that's the kind of news that's notable that I can't really get into because I'm just not well uh, equipped to really divulge that kind of story. But now we will get into the kind of bullshit news that I can talk about, things like limited edition controllers and whatnot. And our first big story this week is that Grand Theft Auto 5 is now on Xbox Game Pass. This is actually just a huge story. So what we have here is Grand Theft Auto 5 is now on Game Pass, signifying the end of the console war and undoubtedly crowning 
Xbox Game Pass has the greatest deal in history since free breathable air. While this isn't the case for Game Pass on PC, console players can now enjoy tearing shit up in Los Santos today through Game Pass. So this is kind of just a massive fucking deal because if you follow along with NPD charts, which we, we sometimes talk about generally at least once a month because that's when NPD numbers are released... Grand Theft Auto 5 is like consistently still charting, you know, around November, December, October, maybe not so much because the big fall releases come out like your Call of Duty Modern Warfares and your NBA 2Ks and all that shit. So obviously the new games, your Star Wars Jedi Fallen Orders are what you're going to see on the on the charts for those months. Um, but throughout most of the year, Grand Theft Auto 5 is still charting despite having come out in I think it was September of 2013. Uh, and it's just after six plus years on the market, that game continues to fucking sell. And Grand Theft Auto Online continues to be one of the biggest persistent online games ever. And it's just such a huge get after, you know, all the money this game is still generating for 2K and Rockstar that Microsoft was able to get this game on Game Pass. It's just an absolute massive get. Um, and while it's unfortunate that PC players don't have it, may maybe they will down the road. But for those on console, uh, which is arguably Game Pass's more important place to focus on just because you know obviously you got to start in one place and you can't always have everything everywhere so focus on xbox's bread and butter which is of course the console space this is just a massive get and it's just this is the kind of thing that really validates game pass in a way that you know not even microsoft exclusives can because i mean obviously it's the biggest deal in the world when when xbox comes out and says every game we make from a first party perspective is going to launch into game pass day and date i mean that's a huge value that's an awesome feature but it's easy for microsoft to add a bunch of value to their own service by doing something like that but to get something as massive as like one of the biggest third-party games on your platform to just be like, yeah, we're going to give up console sales and just launch into Game Pass. I mean, that right there speaks volumes to not only, you know, what a great deal Game Pass is, but to like how others, how other publishers and developers are starting to see the value and starting to understand the kind of just Im impeding <laughs> approach or the the kind of imminent takeover that services like Game Pass are going to have and the kind of indelible role that they are playing in the game sphere. So this is just a massive, massive deal uh, because it's kind of 2K and Rockstar Games way of like validating Game Pass and saying that absolutely this is kind of the future of gaming because they're taking a game that is six plus years old and still charting much in the way like your Minecraft charts every year and the way that like Fortnite still makes shit tons of money every month. This is this is Rockstar and 2K saying, yeah, we believe in Game Pass enough and we see the value in this enough that we'll just cannibalize Xbox One sales of the game so that people can have it on Game Pass. I mean, that means that they're confident enough that through Game Pass, they'll probably make up the difference in cost between A, you know, Microsoft paying a shit ton of money to get the game in Game Pass, and then B, players, more players now playing the game on Xbox through Game Pass and therefore spending money on GTA Online. 
Um, and they think that's th- this must be them testing the waters, saying we think that's more valuable than continuing to just sell the game at 30, 50, 60 bucks, whatever. Because I think GTA 5, I, I haven't checked in forever, I-, I could be dead wrong, but I think GTA 5 is still pretty consistently like a regularly priced game, probably not $60 anymore, but probably in the 30 to $40 range, I- I'd be s- sure because the game's still selling so well, I'm sure they can get a- away with a lot more than like $20 um, per copy sold but what what do i know it's just but still just this is this was like the first game to launch in a game pass outside of you know a microsoft owned a first party game that's just like wow i cannot believe they got that um and this is just telling of the service continues to grow and be at in greater and greater in value and and more and more companies start to jump on board with it this is something like I'm telling you right now, Sony cannot ignore Game Pass. There's no way. Obviously, PlayStation Now has been a thing. It's been a thing longer than Game Pass has been a thing, but it's not quite the same thing as Game Pass. It has far fewer subscribers. It's streaming games. You're not downloading the games. It doesn't work as well. It's really just not as robust a service, but it is a pretty good service and it is getting there. And I do believe you can download certain games on it. It's just, it's kind of a, a messy thing, but Game Pass is an indicator. <laughs> it's proof that Sony cannot ignore what game passes and if they want to stay you know relevant with this stuff they're going to have to compete too because gamers are going to get addicted to this kind of thing they're going to get so comfortable with game pass that they're not going to want to go back to spending 60 dollars on games and i found even you know myself kind of becoming this way like i bought days gone the other week because i was like okay i'll buy it while it was on sale that was always my plan throughout last year is i'll buy it when it's on sale so i waited till the new year sale i bought it for 20 bucks and even then i'm like days gone a game that's absolutely worth 20 dollars. it's worth more than 20 dollars. it's a massive triple a open world game it's totally worth 20 bucks I still found myself like hesitating to spend $20 on this game because I'm like, I could just go on Xbox and play a new game there for free because Game Pass. And it's just gamers are going to get more and more comfortable with this sort of thing. And other companies are going to have to compete by (laughs) making their own service like this. We're going to see either PlayStation now evolve into a very competitive version of Game Pass in the PlayStation 5 generation. Or we're going to see PlayStation kind of scrap PlayStation now and have some Game Pass-like service that's a little more competitive than what PlayStation now was. uh, Because there's just no way we can go into the next generation with Xbox just having every generation of Xbox, everything in one place on the most powerful console ever. And for $15 a month, you get our online subscription service games with gold and game pass just all in one. It's just way too much value for Sony to ignore all these moves. It's just so insanely undeniably like the place to go and play games. The only thing you're missing out on is of course, which is a big one, the Sony exclusives, but just, yeah, I mean, this is this story to, to kind of reel it back in. This story is just such evidence that game pass is a, is a fantastic idea. It's taking off. People love it. And it's only going to continue to grow and become a larger force to be reckoned with because I mean they're starting to garner the support from the biggest third parties out there and I don't know what's much bigger than Grand Theft Auto so congrats to Microsoft and and, and all Xbox gamers that's a great get right there our next big story this week is that Respawn Entertainment, the makers behind Titanfall, um, their CEO, Vince Sanpella, is now taking on a bigger role at the parent company, EA Games, and will now be additionally heading up 
Dice LA beginning this year. Uh, so Dice LA has been kind of like a support second studio uh, to Stockholm's uh, original Battlefield developer, Dice. And the studio will now be kind of a second or, or will kind of reshape as a new studio, uh, not so much a secondary or support studio, but rather their own studio. And, and as part of this transformation with Vince Ampella kind of taking over as the studio head here, he will also be changing. They'll also be changing their name as part of this transformation. So they'll They'll get a unique name rather than being kind of a, a B team of an A team, uh, so to speak. Uh, so with Zampella at the helm, the plan is to release a new game while remaining separate from DICE in Stockholm and Respawn Entertainment. Zampella says that he wants to develop, quote, a new image for the studio and for people to say, this is a destination you can go and make new content, end quote. This is quite a bit of added responsibility for Zampella, of course, as Respawn continues to work on the persistent game Apex Legends, uh, the upcoming Medal of Honor above and beyond for VR platforms, and the new project that is being headed up at DICE uh, LA, which will soon be renamed to some unannounced name. So this is a big story, not only because obviously DICE LA is going to become more of its own independent studio and kind of make its own games and do its own thing now and, and kind of diversify the EA Games portfolio, which is all fantastic news, by the way. Um, but this is kind of a huge, more so than just this studio kind of becoming more independent and more of its own thing. What really makes this story stick out is Vince Ampella is being spread thin. Uh, you think about, you know, EA's original involvement with Respawn. Respawn's an independent developer. They make Titanfall. It's kind of their first big game since uh, Zampella's split with Activision and the Call of Duty franchise. And it's kind of his, like way of evolving these online Call of Duty-like multiplayer games, and they partner up with EA, and it's kind of an Xbox-exclusive game, and then, you know, from there, just snowballs. They do Titanfall 2, EA buys them, they go more multi-platform, and then they start making the Star Wars game, they have a second studio, and then they make Apex Legends, it comes out of nowhere, and it's just, when you look at what Respawn started at a few years ago, and where they are now, it's they have just rolled and rolled and rolled and become a bigger part. And obviously now they're so embedded with EA because they're EA owned. Um, but obviously this is Zampella's track or uh, track record, just kind of speaking for itself and in leading him to more growth and opportunity, which is great because I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of respawn entertainment. If I haven't already said so a million times on the show before, and I, I think very highly of Zampella, but this is just one of those things that kind of worries me a little bit because at the end of the day, I mean, he's just one person. He can only be spread to so many places. And this actually reminds me a little bit of when Disney bought Pixar, if, if just as an, a, a, another analog to kind of compare this to, when Disney bought Pixar. And immediately, John Lasseter start, started heading up Disney Animation Studio. And then he was working at Pixar and Disney at the same time. And he kind of started stretching like really thin be, between Disney and Pixar and kind of having his hands in so many different like facets of Disney as a company. Uh, and while for the most part, I'll, I'll say it seems like that ended up being mostly a good thing. Um, it, it is one of those things where it's like concerning because it's like this man is, you know, always at the head of these excellent games, but it's like he's still just one person and, and the further you spread him and the more places you put him, the more you're taking him away from these individual projects and the more room there is for him to screw up or not have total creative vision over what he's working on and what he's heading. And so you just think there's just more 
room for error and more, more room for, you know, just average or subpar games versus these excellent games that his studio has been known for putting out. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully we can see Vince Sampella be kind of a John Lasseter figure in the sense that, you know, both Disney and Pixar were fantastic under his leadership as opposed to him um, just kind of making both things suffer. Maybe John Lasseter isn't the best kind of analog because obviously he's a bit of a controversial name these days. But nonetheless, I think his his work speaks for itself that he was a, a great creative mind and really helped both of those studios to soar. And hopefully we can see Vince Ampella do a similar thing because man, I really don't want, if, if there's anything I don't want, I don't want to see Respawn suffer as a result of these added responsibilities with him working on so many different types of projects uh, with Medal of Honor being, you know, this very different VR project from Apex Legends, which is this Battle Royale spinoff of Titanfall. And then, you know, you got like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is a different team within Respawn. It's a third person action game. It's just so different from Titanfall. And then you got him heading up this new studio in LA, this Dice LA studio, which is working on God knows what. It's an unannounced project. And then all the while, you know, you got fans like me who are still hoping, fingers crossed, that someday Titanfall returns and we just get a proper Titanfall 3. And it's just, you know, so many, so many hands in so many different places. There's a million ways this could go. And while I'm happy for Dice LA and I'm happy for Vince and his added, you know, um, opportunity to create and and just share his talent with the industry. I am also just a little wary of how this could go wrong and hoping that I am wrong and that all this worry is unnecessary and that this ends up being nothing but a good thing. But, you know, that's kind of wishful thinking when you consider he's just one guy. So who knows? We'll have to keep tabs on this and see how this story continues to uh, develop and evolve, of course. All right, our next story is a little bit of CES news for you. This is coming from Windows Central. So earlier this week, AMD released like the sizzle reel uh, um, during CES, and, and they showed the X. Obviously, AMD is working on the processor for the Xbox Series X uh, as they work on a lot of video game consoles. And in this little like sizzle reel animation they showed, there was an Xbox Series X and then like it spun around and you caught a glimpse of the backside of the Xbox Series X showing the IO, the input output um, kind of ports on the back of the console. Um, and so everyone started running with this news story that we now know what kind of input output the Xbox Series X has and kind of what it looks like on the back. And then quickly we realized or we learned that AMD and they admitted to it that they actually that was just like a not finalized draft or that was just kind of a concept uh, rendering and not really what the back of the Xbox one uh, what the Xbox Series X looks like. And then Brad Sams, who many of you probably don't know, but he is a uh, like a Microsoft beat writer. He, he writes about Microsoft, usually not so much Xbox, usually more so focus on like windows and surface and all that um but of course he does cover xbox he dug into the story more and actually got kind of official word of what the back of the xbox series x looks like so then the story started coming out again the next day with more accurate readings of like what the series what the series x is going to have in terms of ports on it so now we finally know but it was just this kind of massive weird back and forth um for a day or two there but nonetheless so we we have this concrete understanding now this confirmed understanding of the input output of the device um and so so yeah thanks to brad sams we know that on the front end of the device of course aside from like the power button and the disk drive there will be a single usb a port 
um, there. And then on the back side of the device, there will be two additional USB-A ports there. Uh, now joining the USB-A ports are your standard HDMI out cable and your Ethernet cable for high-speed wired internet. And then an SPDIF optical uh optical for audio devices. I'm not quite sure what that is. Again, not too technologically savvy. Uh, and then of course, there's also your power socket for your power cable, which will indeed, uh, you know, the Xbox Series X will indeed have uh, an internal power supply rather than the old school Xbox 360 or OG Xbox One kind of power brick that is external from the console. And then, so you don't, of course, you don't have to worry about that. That's going to continue from the Xbox One S and One X with the internal power supply. Uh, but the obvious and disappointing omission here of all the IO uh, pertaining to the Xbox Series X is the lack of HDMI in which removes the last of the original Xbox One features centered around connecting your Xbox and your cable box and all and making your console the all-in-one entertainment device that was originally intended to be. Uh, so the device uh, is to leave this port out. And, and while it's a little understandable, of course, uh, for those like myself, it's also kind of sad because... I, I used to use the HDMI and I used to have a cable box connected to my Xbox one before I totally got rid of cable when I moved. Uh, and I, I loved it. I loved like turning on my Xbox and it was like my TV, and my Xbox just turn on together and then it's TV or I can hit the home button on my Xbox and now it's a console. And just, I loved having that kind of seamless transition between everything entertainment going on with my TV. Uh, but of course it's understandable that Xbox wants to get away from that image and, and drive more of the strong, powerful video game kind of aesthetic uh, and kind of brand and uh, I, I get it it's just it's just sad and I'm not ex I wasn't expecting for it to be there but it is always a little sad when it's like your last console had this and your new console doesn't like you actually removed a feature but again it's just it's understandable so we'll uh, we'll accept we'll accept what it is and uh, move on but for those of you who are wondering that seems to be the gist of your input output on the Xbox Series X. Now, of course, that's always subject to change. The console doesn't come out till the end of this year. Um, so that's never going to be finalized until it's finalized. But um, it seems like that's pretty solid, like understanding of what it's going to be. Um, so don't expect too much to change, if anything at all. The next story here is, again, from Windows Central. This one comes uh, about uh, Platinum Games, the popular developer behind the Bayonetta series and the first party Xbox game that was or and the Xbox one exclusive game that was canceled uh, scale bound. Um, the studio has announced that they have begun receiving funding from Chinese mega conglomerate Tencent. Uh, so with this new funding from Tencent, Platinum Games is exploring self-publishing while still remaining an independent studio. Additionally, the studio is looking to reach a, quote, wider global perspective, end quote. Uh, so don't be surprised if you start seeing some free-to-play bullshit come from these guys in the coming years. Um, so this is another studio you can add to your list of avoid like the plague because this weird Chinese company is throwing all their money in and probably going to monetize the shit out of everything you love and spy on you and sell your information. Um, uh, but no, r r sincerely, um, this is just a weird story that keeps developing. And I think this, this can't go unnoticed because Tencent's just such a fucking creepy company. Um, they just keep investing in all these video game studios, everything from like blizzard to like destiny to like, just, it's just so many weird things. They, they invest in Ubisoft. Apparently they're just giving money out left and right and it's just kind of creepy because 
not to be, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm always a little worried about like the Chinese, like these weird Chinese companies just kind of throwing their money in places. And it's like, what, what, do, what do you get in that? What do you want here? And I'm just worried that this is like one of those things where it's like, obviously they're going to have like this big funding interference that's going to push, you know, in-game monetization and, and microtransactions and things like that, that gamers really hate and are wary of. So it's just, I don't know, it's just this weird, slow, sneaky thing that Tencent's been doing over the past like year or two where they're just constantly investing in all these video game studios. And I'm just and I'm just curious as to like what they're getting at and where this is going. So I'm just a little weary about it, but I figured that this was worth pointing out because it's just another game in this ever-growing list of like companies Tencent is, is throwing money to. So maybe we'll maybe this will pan out into something uh where we where we see i don't know some like some takeover where tencent owns like 99% of the games industry and in 10 years there's no such thing as a nintendo or sony or microsoft and everything's just tencent and maybe they'll buy google and turn google stadia into like the mainstream way to play games and it'll just be tencent's google stadia and we'll all be miserable and we'll all be playing plants versus zombies with 99% microtransactions and there won't even be gameplay everything's just an autoplay like iPhone game and we're all just throwing money left and right to earn coins to earn gems to rebuild bases and to fucking replenish whatever it is the fuck you do on your mobile games but I don't know this is just we'll see but yeah platinum games another another casualty of the 10 cent um, slow but steady takeover of the world of gaming uh, and then our next story, which is a little less conspiratorial, uh, according to the Hollywood Reporter, um, Didalic Entertainment is making a Lord of the Rings game about the cave troll golem. Uh, the game is set. Uh, the game is in development for next generation hardware, which includes, of course, the Xbox Series X. The game is called Lord of the Rings Golem, and it will take players on a journey as the little pasty-looking cave fucker, uh, but offers a uh, but offers developer uh, day. They Dalek Entertainment's unique spin on the characters, uh, on the character by reinterpreting his design. Studio co-founder uh, Karsten Fitchelman said the following: He says, "Quote: You already had that big conflict in the character, two voices talking to you continuously, which means there is a good reason that we, that there are decisions to make in the game." The Smeagol decisions and the Gollum decisions. We have a story that we all know from the book, but everything that happens to him before he appears in the first book are the main things that we see in our game. We will tell the story before he first appears in the books. End quote. The game is currently planned for a release of sometime in 2021. So this is a, it seems like every couple of years it's like a big Lord of the Rings game. Sometimes they really, really stick and make big waves. And then sometimes it's just like whatever. So this just seems like a notable game because I don't know the, the last few games we got in the Lord of the Rings universe, the Shadow of Mordor games uh, seem to have been pretty big. So who knows? I mean, people love Lord of the Rings. They love their uh, medieval dragons and elves and, and surfs games. They love there are games where you, um, you know, where you, uh, you get a sword and you bathe once a once a year and you fucking find a fairy woman and fuck her or whatever the the hell it is you do in these kinds of adventures. Um, so I figured I'd I'd add that in there because chances are some of you greasy little fuckboys are really looking forward to this Lord of the Rings game where you play as as the 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 toll troll or whatever his name is. 
Um, so if you're looking forward to that, you got you got yourself a new Lord of the Rings game. I've never heard of this developer, uh, Daedalic Entertainment. I meant to look them up before I hit record, but here we are, unprepared and appearing ignorant as all hell. And then our final wrap-up stories for this week, we've got Ori and the Will of the Wisps, uh, which of course is coming out in March, um, has just revealed the collector's edition, or Microsoft has just revealed the collector's edition for the game, uh, which is available now for pre-order. The collector's edition includes the following items. One, you get the game disc, of course. You get an art booklet, the piano collections soundtrack, the iconic Golden Feather Steelbook case, and the original soundtrack for download. The collection can be pre-ordered for 50 bucks, or the standard game can be purchased separately for $30. Of course, you're probably just going to play the game for free via Xbox Game Pass like a 21st century human being, uh, but if you are a diehard Ori fan, you can go ahead and pre-order this um, collector's edition. I'm sure it's available on the Microsoft Store, but I've already seen it on Amazon, so there are probably a handful of places you can get it, but if not, Amazon for sure has you, so be sure to check that out if you're a diehard Ori in the uh, Blind Forest or in the Will of the Wisps fan. I'm looking forward to playing this game. I really need to go back and finish the first one since I never did that, but you know, if you're one of those people that still likes to get collector's editions i feel like i feel like no one's getting those anymore but this one seems like a pretty decent deal because it's less of like the gimmicky like action figure bullshit and more of like the stuff you're actually interested in or the stuff i'd be interested in which is like the music and the art of the game uh, stuff that i could actually see myself extracting value out of rather than just getting like a massive little fucking statue that you put on your desk and then realize you wasted money on um so there's that and then our final final story is a little little tidbit but um really notable one and that is that uh, a big congratulations to developer rare as sea of thieves has crossed the 10 million player mark to celebrate the success sea of thieves is getting some free content in the month of january and the legends of the seas content updates which is meant to have the community of players at the center as part of this update players will be able to grab a custom sale and emotes starting on January 15th through January 22nd. So this is just a, you know, big congratulations to rare as 10 million players is definitely nothing to sneeze at. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Of course, that's largely due to the game being, you know, the first big game that launched into game pass. Uh, and then also it's, it's just caught a lot of attention, the streaming community, which is awesome because it's, it's nice to see that game doing well because a lot of people really didn't think it would do well. And here it is, you know, just kind of sustaining with this passionate fan base. And now while of course 10 million players is definitely not concurrent, uh, not even close. Um, it's just incredible to think that 10 million people have hit the download button on the CFEs and press start at some point or another. And big congrats to rare. You know, it's been a long time since they've been able to put out a big game and, um, I'm glad to see them finding success in Sea of Thieves, despite, you know, it not really being my thing as much as I wanted it to be. But if you are a Sea of Thieves fan out there, uh, you feel good about the fact that the game you love and the, this this game as a service that you love is uh, going strong and doing well. And congrats to Rare. And I'm excited to see what you do when you make another single player game because I want to play I want to play a new Rare game. I just just don't think Sea of Thieves is my thing as much as I wanted it to be. And that's going to do it for the news this week. Now, I feel really bad because last week there was no game release drop on Xbox Wire for us to go over, but the week before that, I skipped it for our kind of weird holiday episode, 
but I felt really, really guilty about that. Um, so I'm really excited to get back to this week's Xbox Wire game release drop. And we're starting the year kind of slow. Obviously, last year, like I said, there was no drop. We we're doing a, a little holiday break, I guess. Um, but this week, we're back at it again with all the new little indie games that you can that you could ever set your heart on. Um, but actually, we're starting out a little slow for the beginning of 2020, as there's only five new games hitting the Xbox Store this week. So get your wallets ready, and uh, let's let's learn about some anime bullshit. Our first game is Regions of Ruin, which is out on January 8th. So at the time of this recording, it's out now. This is one of those games where it's so pixely that even, you know, three pairs of contacts and, uh, and super thick glasses won't help you understand what the fuck you're looking at. But it's indie as all hell, so that makes it charming, right? Uh, it looks like some kind of brickwork and knights and, and like whatever the hell that is. Our next game is called Animal Friends Adventure. Now, this isn't a screenshot of a game. It looks like just a bunch of random like fucking like clip art version of like various zoo animals you got like a you got your classic zoo animals like the panda bear the jack-o'-lantern the brick uh and some kind of beagle smeagle looking yoda fucker so if you like games where you play as not only real animals and fictional animals but the kinds of animals you dress up as when you identify as a uh, as a furry then this is going to be a great game for you. You can play as Freddy, you can play as Slenderman, you can play as uh, Panda Bear and Pokemon. So it's a really great game. And um, yeah, if you have sexual attractions to animals, this is going to be a great way to enjoy a rather uh, Xbox One X enhanced game. So be sure to be on the lookout for Animal Friends Adventures. And then our next game here is called Dragon Sinker, Descendants of Legend, which is probably just the first game I read, but now instead of being like a medieval side-scroller, it's like a top-down 8-bit Zelda-like, Fantasy Star-like, Dragon Quest-like, NES-like Pokemon game where you travel around and you get strong. It's an Xbox Play Anywhere game, which, as we've said in the past, means just because you can play anywhere doesn't mean you should play anywhere. In fact, you probably just shouldn't play it at all. But if you like RPGs, if you like having no life, if you like deterring yourself from ever having a social life and being cool, then you can play this game. Um, But I don't recommend it. And then our final two games of the week, we we got Invert, which... Is this game is so confident that it's good that they didn't even include a screenshot. They just included a logo. Uh, but according to the description, it is a platformer, uh, which I assume, uh, I, I don't really know what that means. Um, but you play as this little robot with a Pokemon logo on its chest. So it's probably some kind of Pokemon game. Since Nintendo and Microsoft have been hitting it off lately, I guess it's about time they put one of those Pokemon games on Xbox. So if you like catching them all, um, then go ahead and invert your controllers. So it's probably just a Pokemon game where you play the whole thing inverted and get frustrated and throw your controller at a wall because you can't do a goddamn thing because you're trying to move left and your guy moves right and you try to go up and your guy goes down. You try to throw a Pokeball and instead he uses uh, Surf and kills the Pokemon. And so it's probably just a really infuriating game, I imagine. So it's a gameplay mechanic set around frustrating the hell out of the player until they break their controllers. And probably just a big ploy to sell more um, controllers. And then our final game is called Paperbound Brawlers. This is like this is like if you took Brawlhalla and, and Paperboy and mashed them into one game that I'm never going to play. It's called Paper Paperbound Brawl Brawlers. And there's like a 
animal creatures and there's like stick figures with pencils and I assume it's some kind of fighting game but again this is another one of those games where they were so confident that their indie game was going to be awesome and worth your time that they decided to just provide a logo and not even a screenshot of the game they're not even confident enough to show you a single screenshot of what this game looks like which means you should probably just go out on a limb and buy it because it, chances are it's fantastic and you're going to look like a dumbass if you weren't among the first to jump on board with paper bound brawlers. It might even be the next, might even be the next Rocket League. You don't even know. You fucking idiot. So just go ahead and play that. Probably $20 well spent. Um, and that's going to do it for our new games of 2020. Those are all the new games of 2020. That's right. No more. No Halo Infinite, it's fucking canceled. We're just going to play Paperbound Brawlers. And then a reminder for all you Games with Gold users, which is literally everyone on Xbox. Um, so your games for the month of January, you've got Sticks, Shards of Darkness for the entire month. You've got Batman the Telltale series beginning on January 16th, running through February 15th. And then you've got on the 360 side, backwards compatible, of course, Tekken 6 for the first half of the month through the January 15th. And then on the second half of the month, uh, from the 16th through the 31st, you've got Lego Star Wars 2, the original trilogy. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox On. It's nice to kind of be back in the routine schedule of, you know, shitting, bullshitting you in the beginning, throwing some news in the middle, bullshitting you in the end with some new game releases, and then dropping you with my friend Eric, who's going to play us out with a song. As always, please follow me on social media. It is the only thing that lets me know that I'm alive. I'm not going to give you handles to my social media because I think it makes me a lot more cool if you have to go out of your way to find me. So good luck doing that. And until next week, Eric, take it away. Eric, that's right.